I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The Deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Hello and welcome back to Out of Office. I'm Marika Kapoor. My guest today is Dan Schulman, President and CEO of PayPal. He's a regular on lists of most powerful CEOs, known as much for his business sharps as a champion of social justice. In this episode, I talk to Dan about what and who has shaped his values, because it's these personal influences that ultimately define the way an executive leads, which impacts how well a company performs. He tells me his parents played a big part. My mom and my dad were both social activists. My mom pushed me in my stroller in a lot of civil rights marches. My dad was worried I'd be the youngest person with a picture in an FBI file. In this wide freewheeling chat with Dan, we spoke about his priorities as a CEO. CEOs need to say out loud that we have a purpose as a global corporate citizen that goes well beyond just profits. His daily practice of martial arts. There's a philosophy around martial arts that I really respect. And it is that the best way to win a fight is to not get into a fight. His sartorial choices. It's sometimes a struggle. Like, you know, people are like, oh, are you being disrespectful? Or, you know, shouldn't you dress up? I never mean any disrespect for it. For the most part, you'll see me in jeans and cowboy boots and typically the black sweater. That's, that's what I do. And much more that you may not have known about Dan Schulman, the CEO and president of PayPal. Here's my conversation. Dan, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you so much. Great to be here with you. 2020 has been a challenging year for most people around the world. Let's be hopeful. Let's look ahead to 2021. What are you most hopeful for? Yeah, well, you're exactly right. 2020 has been such a difficult year for, I would say, almost everybody across the globe. We've had to deal with worries about our health um, in a pandemic that's just had waves up and down. All of us know somebody who's been impacted financially. You know, the economic toll has been tremendous. And then you've had so much social unrest, people searching for social justice. And then you've got all the political divisiveness that has occurred. And so, you know, there's just one thing after another that we've struggled with. And on top of all that, we're all working from home. And that was a massive change for so many people. And consequently, you've had you know a lot of mental stress throughout the world. And I guess as I look ahead to 2021, the first thing I would hope for is that all of us find a little more peace we can be more in touch with the people that we love that we haven't been able to see for so long, you know, physically, but also that we take some of the 
beauty of what we've seen in the past year, which is kind of more intimate connections because we all have this shared vulnerability that's occurred and bring those forward. There are a lot of things that have happened that I don't think we'll ever go back to the way it was. I think we'll leapfrog to a new paradigm going forward that will incorporate much of what we've learned in this past year and emerge maybe stronger and more connected than ever before. What's the one learning from last year you hope we all do take into the new normal? Well, I think that there's kind of personal and there's professional. I'll put those on two different things. On a personal side, you know, sometimes it takes crises to open our eyes to things that we take for granted. That could be personal connections to each other, could just be seeing people and having that human connection. And so I hope we remember that going forward. Professionally, I think this has enabled all of us to realize that there are different ways of working that, you know, maybe we don't need to travel as much as we used to. Maybe people can spend more time at home and less time commuting and a little more time with their family. And there can be some sort of hybrid going forward. And so I think there are a lot of lessons, you know, in, in my world, which is very much on digital payments and the explosion of all things digital going forward. I think there are so many things that will change for the better as a result of this fast forwarding of trends that have been in place for a long time, but literally were accelerated by three to five years. And so I think there's a lot to uh, look forward to, a lot to learn. I'm excited about what 2021 will bring. As you've helped PayPal navigate the pandemic, what's the most important quality you think a business leader has to have to help employees, to help your company ride this period out? Well, I think, first of all, CEOs need to say out loud that we have a purpose as a global corporate citizen that goes well beyond just profits. And that our number one responsibility and our number one constituency is our employees. We need to take care of our employees. Who else is going to do that? We can't turn to governments or nonprofits to address all the problems that we face in our society. There are things that we can control completely and taking care of the financial health of our employees would seem to me to be right at the top of that list. Because if you take care of the financial health of your employees, their passion for a company like PayPal and the way that passion translates into serving customers, I think gives us a tremendous amount of competitive advantage. It isn't that we're spending money, um, as some shareholders might say, like unnecessarily on helping employees. I would argue that by doing that investment that we are going to create more shareholder value than we ever could 
but over the medium to long term, not over the short term. I think as a leader, I think that is something that I that I hope we all take away from this, that we have responsibilities to customers, to the communities we live in, that we are not disconnected from the rest of the world. We are, you know, as the rest of the world goes, so goes our companies. And we need to be part of being strong global citizens that are active and concerned and participate in helping uh, our societies move forward. One of the things you've done recently is allowed your employees to receive their compensation before payday. Yeah. That's a very unusual step. Tell me a little bit about your thinking before you came to this decision and what's the impact been on your staff? Yeah. One of the more eye-opening things that happened uh, to me over the last couple of years was putting a survey out to our employees to find out, were they financially stressed? Were they struggling to make ends meet at the end of the month? And I did it in a little bit of a self-serving manner, honestly, because we pay at or above the market in all places where PayPal hires employees. So I thought the results were gonna be great. And I was gonna talk about them at an all employee meeting. What I found out is that for almost all of our call center employees and our entry level employees, that they actually were financially stressed, that they were worried about their bills, that they were choosing between healthcare benefits for their family and putting food on the table. And it was a really disappointing moment for me because, you know, our mission is to make sure that managing and moving money is a right for every citizen, not just a privilege for the affluent. And here we were with two thirds of our entry level employees struggling. And so we came up with a measure, we called it net disposable income. It measures how much money does somebody have after they pay all of their taxes and essential living expenses. So how much money do they have to save for everyday expenses? And Unfortunately, we found out that our employees, you know, that were entry level call center only had four to 6% net disposable income. So no wonder they were struggling. And we came up as a management team with a measure that said, we need to aim to be sure that none of our employees have an NDI less than 20%. So really to increase that NDI almost uh, four to five times from where they were. So what did we do? We lowered the cost of healthcare benefits by 60%. We gave more money, salary, to uh, those uh, affected populations within PayPal. We gave every single person in PayPal equity so they could all enjoy the success of the company going forward. We wrapped all of that in a financial education program because the first time people were saving money we're receiving equity and so figuring all that out. And then we also, because cash flow is so important, would give them access to their paycheck before they earned it. Because you know, paychecks are paid two weeks in arrears. And sometimes people really need that money. We gave them that ability free of charge. 
The bottom line on all of that is one, now the minimum NDI inside PayPal is 16%. So we're well on our way to 20%. Yeah. Hopefully at the end of next year, we'll get there. But number two, absenteeism has dropped dramatically. Attrition has dropped dramatically. Our customer satisfaction scores are up dramatically. Pride in PayPal is up dramatically. And I think for any company to have the chance to move from being a good company to a great company, that foundation for that is having employees that aren't financially stressed and are passionate about the company and want to work at PayPal and, and believe in our mission. And I think we've at least made a good step in that direction. But that foundation has to come from you, right? And it does come from you and the values that you were brought up by. And I know your parents have played a huge role in sort of shaping your ethics and your moral compass. Tell us a little bit about the impact they've had in making you the person you are. I'm fortunate in that both my mom and my dad are my role models and, and really my heroes. You know, my mom was a school teacher. My dad worked the night shift as a chemical engineer. You know, I didn't realize we had nothing, but looking back, like, you know, we had nothing. We lived in a very small apartment. And my mom and my dad were both social activists. Uh, my mom, very enthusiastically, and my dad learned from my mom. My mom pushed me in my stroller in a lot of civil rights marches. My dad was worried I'd be the youngest person with a picture in an FBI file. So he was <laughs> concerned about that. But I remember my dad uh, had some employees. This is in the 1960s, the first civil rights movement. Black employees in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And uh, a plant manager in the company he worked for fired one of his employees, a Black employee, because they took a drink at a water fountain that was meant for whites only. And my dad traveled down to Pascagoula, Mississippi to undo this firing, to reverse it. And I remember so clearly my mom waiting by the phone, worried whether my dad was going to be beaten up or, you know, this was a, a very tense time in American history and a, a lot of social unrest. And uh, I remember my dad coming back and I asked him why he did that because it seemed very scary to me at the time. And I'll never forget his words. He said, son, in this world, it's what we do that matters. It's not what we say. And that has stood by me from that moment on. It's the actions we take, which sometimes are very hard and sometimes take a lot of courage, like what my dad did, what my mom did. And the actions I've taken have resulted in a lot of death threats towards me as well. And so, you know, as I told my daughter, who worries about those death threats, like, I'm doing the right thing by standing up and advocating for a just world. And I have a lot of role models who have helped me think that through from my parents to Richard Branson, uh, who you may know, who I've spent a lot of time talking to about social justice. And so, you know, all of us build on each other to try and create perhaps a little bit more of a just world.
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF. controversial measures you've taken or do you have an example of one that has actually resulted in a death threat and you know not scared you yeah i've done martial arts my whole life mixed martial arts uh i was going to come to that in a bit yeah, <laughs> yes i know so you practice it every day in, in having a little bit of a zen attitude uh about things but probably the first example which you wouldn't think would be so controversial but it was when paypal withdrew from North Carolina, because the um, House of Representatives in North Carolina passed uh, what was called the bathroom bill. And it basically, in our reading of that bill, uh, allowed for the potential discrimination against somebody for their sexual orientation or their sexual identity. And um, you know, our mission is a very inclusive one, and it's all about diversity and embracing diversity. You know, I felt that any bill that was passed that could promote discrimination uh, was something that we had to take a stand on uh, because values that are just on a wall that you don't take action on, I think are just propaganda. You know, they, they're real when you're actually standing up for them. I honestly didn't think that that was gonna be as big a deal as it was immediately afterwards you know, I got a, a lot of death threats. I couldn't even go into a bathroom without security searching in it first. You know, a lot of hate mail that came in, but also a ton of mail that came in saying, you know, that people appreciated that our brand stood for something that mattered to people. Like, and I didn't think that, you know, standing up for, non-discriminatory things was such a big thing. Like it didn't seem like a red issue or a blue issue. It seemed like just an American value, a universal value. But you know, we live in a culturally charged time. We live in a politically divisive time. And, um, but I don't think there's any way that we can avoid the culture wars. We shouldn't necessarily take political stands, but we should always take values-based stands. And I think our customers expect that and our employees expect us to do that. And But uh, oftentimes I've now seen when you address forms of hatred in some way, shape, form or fashion, you know, there's another side that can be angry about that. How do you stay the course then? I mean, these things are scary. You know, to have to have your security team check out the bathrooms before you can use it to have the death threat. I mean, this is not the normal life of a CEO. So, well, more CEOs. How do you then stay the course and how do you sort of 
maintain peace in your own mind? Like, how do you cope? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, honestly. You know, we have an acceptable use policy on PayPal and Venmo that says you can't use us to advocate violence, hatred, or racial discrimination. And you would think those would be pretty simple things to ferret out. Like we've shut down KKK sites, Nazi sites. And there are some people who get angry with us for doing that, which you know seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. But then, you know, it becomes a little more difficult sometimes when you're discriminating against free speech versus hatred, because nobody teaches you that in school. We all know you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, but that's where kind of the, you know, that's all we say. And so we spend a lot of time and effort and resources to look carefully at websites, not just what they say up front, but their embedded links, their videos. We need to understand code because oftentimes hatred is hidden in code words or code numbers um, that you need to, to know. You know, we just, we do this every single month. And I think, um, I'm proud that we do that. I think we can abdicate our responsibility as a steward for our platform, as a steward for trying to do the right things. Again, not everybody will always agree that what you do is, is right. But I think our consistency is something that I, that I strive for. And I think that's now been recognized by you know, regulators and governments and, and a lot of our customers uh, and all of our employees. I don't ask everybody to think the same way, but I do ask people to respect that we do have values that we will live up to those as best we can. Martial arts, I believe you practice martial arts every day. Yeah, I do. So when did you learn it and how does that discipline affect you and why do you do it every day? I started um, early on. I spent some time in Israel when I was younger, they had youth military training there. And so I did some of that. And then when I came back to the States, I continued on with this practice called Krav Maga. The reason I've stuck with it through all these years is there's a philosophy around martial arts that I really respect. And it is that the best way to win a fight is to not get into a fight. And it's really, how do you de-escalate very difficult situations? And that no matter how skilled you are in the practice, and I've been doing this for many, many years, there's always somebody who knows more than you do. There's always the chance that, not the chance, there's actually the absolute certainty that you will get hit in a fight and there's so much more you can learn. And there's a huge degree of humility that comes from that. And there's also an anti-know-it-all kind of philosophy where you need to realize you will never know it all and you need to constantly learn and be very open and have a very Zen attitude towards that and be grateful that you can always learn. And those things have really helped 
you know, leadership, I wish everyone did martial arts. I think the world would be a much more peaceful understanding place, um, a place where we respect each other more and have um, a lot more understanding and compassion for, for each other. And so martial arts has been a big part of my life. And um, it's great, you know, obviously, you know, coming in from sparring in the morning into the office, it all seems pretty easy after you've been in the ring. Oh, I'm sure. And I know you have to go. I'm going to ask you one very, one more quick question. Last question. You often really stand out. You stand out for a number of different reasons. Uh, but in a sea of suits, you do stand out with your jeans and cowboy boots. Yes, yes, yes. Have you always been a nonconformist? And you enjoy that, standing out with your jeans and boots. You know, <laughs> I always do, you know, kind of wear basically the same thing. It's very convenient. I don't really have to think much. I remember I went to this big black tie event uh, where I was one of the presenters, you know, it was one of these kind of Hollywood things. I was presenting with some famous actress. I can't remember her name, but, um, and she was just like perfectly, and the whole audience was in black tie. And, uh, you know, people, and often like I go to government things and I'm in my, jeans and cowboy boots. And I know they look askance at me as well. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think like, ah, it would just be so much easier if I was in a tight jacket, then people wouldn't think about it at all. But, you know, I think being authentic to yourself, and honestly, I think we should be all measured by our words and our thoughts, not necessarily by our appearance. So it's sometimes a struggle like, you know, people are like, oh, are you being disrespectful? Or, you know, shouldn't you dress up? I never mean any disrespect for it. And every once in a while, I put on a suit and people are really freaked out by that. For the most part, you'll see me in jeans and cowboy boots and typically the black sweater. That's, that's what I do. You know what? More power to jeans and being comfortable. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. When I was on the red carpet, people were yelling out, like, what are you wearing? And I was like, Levi's and I think a Gap sweater. And the <laughs> was it the highest haute couture for sure. Absolutely. Dan, please stay authentic. And thank you so much for joining us on Out of Office. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Out of Office. We'll be back next week with more. If you want to check out other episodes, you know where to find them. We're on the Bloomberg Terminal, on the Bloomberg website, Bloomberg.com, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. This episode was produced by Jordan Gaspare. I'm Malika Kapoor. Thank you for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.